What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode seven of Preloaded, the podcast dedicated to previewing and talking about all of the biggest and most exciting upcoming video games. My name is Josh Finderup, and I am joined, as always, by the other half of Preloaded, Mr. Jackson Vanover. What's going on this week, Jackson? Hey, Josh. Not much. Just floored by this huge Bethesda news that we're about to get into. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about once again. Even if you've been living under a rock, you probably know that Microsoft purchased ZeniMax, which includes Bethesda and a ton of other super valuable IPs. So a big megaton to talk about there. We're also going to get into some cyberpunk news. We just got news this morning that Amazon is launching a gaming streaming service. So that's super interesting. We're also going to have a discussion at the end of the show about whether these big studio acquisitions are good for the gaming industry and good for gamers. So You want to stay tuned for all of that, but first, you can catch Preloaded every Monday. We post the video version over on JV's YouTube channel. He's J-A-Y-V-E-E if you're not already subscribed. But if you prefer to listen, you can catch the audio version over on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you are listening on any of those platforms, we'd love for you to leave a positive review if you're enjoying the podcast. We're really trying to grow our audience, and that's probably the biggest thing you can do to help us as we try to turn this podcast into a thing. You can also write into Preloaded at the email address preloadedpodcast at gmail.com. That's preloadedpodcast at gmail.com, and we welcome all of your comments, all of your feedback, but we'd love to hear your questions. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about on the following week's show, write in, and we'd love to hear from you. And Speaking of questions, we are going to kick the podcast off with our new segment, which is called Who the Hell Are These Guys? And this is where Jackson and I answer a question about our gaming preferences, our gaming history, to give you, the audience, a bit of a better idea of who we are as gamers. And maybe Jackson and I will even learn a little bit about each other as we do this. So the question that we are going to kick things off with this week is, what is your biggest gaming pet peeve. We touched on this a little bit in the last two shows, but we want to kind of dig into what, as they say, Jackson, grinds your gears as you're playing a game. So I'll kick this over to you. Yeah, Josh. So for me, my biggest gaming pet peeve is when for some reason uh, in a historical game like Assassin's Creed Unity, I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed lately, as you guys know, I've talked about it on every single podcast. Uh, My pet peeve is that in Assassin's Creed Unity, every character has an English accent instead of a French one. Um, It's just kind of like this weird inconsistency. Um, It's kind of like how movies always give the bad guys British accents for some reason. You're like, why is he British? You don't even know. Um, So they decided to do that for Unity. And I don't know, it just takes me out of the experience when a game does something like that. I know they wouldn't have been speaking English, but at least give them... Uh, you know, a French accent instead of a British one. So that's mine. Yeah, I remember reading about that when Unity came out and it seemed kind of odd. But yeah, you know, at least now with uh, Valhalla, that will actually take place in England. So the <laughs> British accents will make perfect sense. There you go. That's a great point. Yeah. Um. So my pet peeve or gaming peeve, I guess, is uh, when you're playing an, an exploration focused game and they cut you off from backtracking. 
it drives mm. me nuts. And the game that did that recently was actually The Last of Us Part oh. Two. You have these big, you know, levels that are amazing, and then you will like slide down a ravine that you can't climb back up, or you'll have to block a door off to pre- prevent some clickers from coming through, and you can't go back. And I'm kind of a completionist, and so when I know there's a collectible back there that I need to get, it drives me nuts. And what especially drove me nuts in The Last of Us is it autosaves after you get to one of those points. So unless you manually saved, you'd have to restart the level over in order to go back, and that just drove me nuts. It, it actually was... I'm so glad you mentioned that, Josh, because I ran to the exact same thing with the exact same game. And I wrote it... I, I was playing it for in order to review it. I never ended up doing it, but... I have a notebook full of pages where I'm like, stop cutting me off. Stop advancing, you know, forward. I get from a technical perspective why you would do that, but it's so you know irritating when you're trying to explore everything. Anyways, drove me nuts. <laughs> Love The Last of Us Part Two, but that was one of my one of the blemishes on that game for me. Right. Um so moving on, let's take a look at the games that are coming out this week. Every week, Jackson and I rattle off the games that come out starting on the Monday, the podcast posts all the way through the following Friday. And this week, it's a relatively light week, but some interesting games nonetheless, uh, starting with Super Mario Bros. 35. This is the Battle Royale Mario Bros. game that's releasing for the Switch Online service. It releases on October 1st. And the interesting thing here is this is only playable, so they say, until March 31st. So if you want to get your Battle Royale Mario on, uh, get in while you can. Uh, next up is Crash Bandicoot 4. It's all about time. This is the full-on sequel to Crash Bandicoot uh, 3, and it releases on the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One on October 2nd. And then lastly, I think the biggest release of the week for a lot of people is Star Wars Squadrons releases for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC on October 2nd. And Jackson, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this also releases for PlayStation VR, does it not? Uh, I believe so. Uh, off the top of my head, I want to say yes, because I think EA is pushing that. It makes sense for this to be a VR experience. And you and I have talked about that. So I believe it is as well. Yeah. And it might be Oculus and, and the other VR platforms as well. But anyway, uh, are are you going to play any of these? I really do want to play Star Wars Squadrons. Um, it's kind of one of those, am I going to have time slash do I want to dedicate the time? Um, it seems like a very self-contained short experience that I would like to play at some point. Yeah, same here. I'm kind of interested in Crash Bandicoot 4, but just I have a lot to play. I have a trip coming up. I don't know if I'll have time. But yeah, Star Wars Squadrons, it reminds me of the Rogue Squadron games back on the uh, Nintendo 64 and GameCube. So it might kick up some nostalgia for me there. But that's what's coming out. Let's now look at what came out last week. Every week we do our review roundup of the games that are uh, posting their reviews, whether they came out the previous week or maybe even prior. This week we've got Mafia Definitive Edition. Um, and before I get into the scores, we use Open Critic and they list their top critic scores as well as how many reviews are recommending that you play this game. So Mafia Definitive Edition is getting great reviews. 80% top critic rating and 93% of critics are recommending it. So that's that's fantastic. I'm really excited to uh I, I don't know if I'll play it, but I've just ma- it makes me happy when games like this come back and, and you actually played this game, didn't you, Jackson? I did. Yeah, I got to review it. I uploaded a review on my channel. Uh, we'll talk about it more in the preview section of our podcast here. Awesome. Uh next up is Serious Sam 4. I have never touched a Serious Sam game. 
I don't know if you have Jackson, but this game, I haven't. Yeah, this game is uh, it's a, like a first person shooter in the kind of the vein of like a Duke Nukem, and it is getting 72 percent top critic rating and a 50 percent recommended. So not the best reviews, but maybe not the worst. And then Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 uh, Complete Edition uh, was released. I believe that was for Switch, uh, and that is getting an 80 percent top critic re- uh, rating and no recommended data as of yet. But. I have to say, if you've ever, if you're into Sims, Roller Coaster Tycoon games are a lot of fun. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't start with Roller Coaster Tycoon in terms of this specific kind of sim. I actually started with Thrillville, which is probably yeah. like a very niche thing. I don't. Okay, so you do remember that game? That's that was the Xbox exclusive, wasn't it? Ah, uh, I don't know if it was an exclusive, but I do know that it was on consoles. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the extent of my roller coaster sim, uh, kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. If you're into these sim type games, I, I, I would recommend these anyways. Uh, with that, we are going to take our first break and coming up, we've got our week in previews section and we have a ton of news to talk about, starting with the big bomb that Microsoft dropped on us all. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are now going to get into our week in preview segment. This is where we talk about all of the news that came out about upcoming games and the next-gen consoles, and we also talk about hands-on previews if either of us got to play a game that's coming out, and we actually have one of those coming up. But first, we are going to talk about the megaton that Microsoft dropped on us all, and that is that they bought ZeniMax Media which owns the the big get there is that they own Bethesda, but there's a lot of studios they own. We'll get into that. But the big uh, surprise number that everybody was kind of their jaw hit the floor when they heard it was that they bought this uh, property for $7.5 billion. Uh, to put that in perspective, they bought Minecraft for $2.5 billion. And when Sony bought uh, Insomniac, for example, I think that was in the in the realm of the hundreds of millions. That didn't even crack a billion. So a huge purchase, Jackson. The first question I want to ask is, where were you when you heard this, and what was your reaction? <laughs> I was, uh, I was it, was. it was in the morning, right? And so uh, I was just drinking my coffee, and I took a sip, and I just, just you know how they do spit takes. I just did that all mm-hmm. over. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did not do that, but I was floored when I saw this, and I was just live tweeting as it happened. I happened to be looking at Twitter, and it happened like a minute after the fact. Yeah. Um, so I was just blown away by this. And like everyone, my mind started racing at the possibilities. Yeah, same here. I was, uh, I'm was i a late uh, sleeper. So I was still in bed when I checked Twitter. And then I um, the, the tweet that I immediately post did involve an expletive. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just, I couldn't believe it. Uh, this is something that I had heard people talk about. But I was, you know, there's no way that they could buy Bethesda and, and right. all of the associated properties. And speaking of, so here's what the, the the purchase includes. Here's what Microsoft gets for their $7.5 billion. They get uh, Arcane Studios, which publishes or develops rather Dishonored, Prey, and the upcoming Deathloop, which is interesting. We'll get into that in a minute. Machine Games, who develops Wolfenstein, one of my favorite first-person shooters of the generation. ZeniMax Online, who develops the Elder Scrolls Online. Bethesda Game Studios, that's the big one. They develop Fallout, the Elder Scrolls, and Starfield. Um, and then id software another huge property they obviously make doom tango gameworks if you didn't know they make the evil within and then some other studios that uh, are a little bit lesser known alpha dog which makes a game called monstrosity rampage that's based off of the old 
Rampage arcade game from the 80s and 90s. And then Roundhouse, which is a new studio that is working on some unannounced projects. So that's a lot of stuff. And, you know, I think the big immediate news that we can confirm or that, you know, Microsoft has confirmed is that all of the games that all of these studios make, with the exception of a few, are going to appear on Game Pass on day one that they release. We also got news, I don't know if you saw this, Jackson, but they just announced recently that on October 1st, Doom Eternal is already scheduled to come to Game Pass. Did you see that? I did, and that's huge, because Doom, it, the new Doom, I feel, is not getting enough love. Um, it came out earlier this year. A lot of people just have kind of forgotten about it. It came out at the same time as Animal Crossing, the same yeah. day, actually. Um, and I think that is just a, a hidden gem this year, and I'm so happy that so many more people are going to be able to play it. I agree. It's one of my favorite games of the year. I mentioned that Wolfenstein is one of my favorite first-person shooters of the generation. Well, so is Doom. I think that Bethesda has figured out this kind of first single-player first-person shooter formula. Those games are fantastic. So really excited that Doom Eternal is coming to Game Pass. Um, but two games, I mentioned that there are that not every one of these games will come to Game Pass on day one. We know that Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo are still going to be timed exclusives on the PlayStation 5. So very strange when you turn on these games on your PlayStation 5, you might actually see a Microsoft Game Studios logo <laughs> or, or published by Microsoft something or other or Xbox logo, who knows, on your PlayStation. Basically, Microsoft is publishing to PlayStation 5 timed exclusives, which is very interesting. We're in a, we're in a brave new world. <laughs> right. It, it feels like these two are going to be uh, the white whales. We're never going to see these again um, unless something like this in this very particular scenario happens again. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long these are timed exclusives. I don't think we even know. I think we just kind of assume it's going to be a year or something like that. Yeah, actually, I don't know if they've said the given a time frame. I mean, I know a mm -hmm. year has been like when the big one I remember was Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, was an Xbox timed exclusive and that was a year. So I know that and there was a, a Call of Duty content exclusivity thing for PlayStation that lasted a year. So that seems to be kind of the magic number. One interesting thing, Xbox now has 23 first party studios when you round up all of these ZeniMax owned studios and not only does that sound like a lot at face value, but you compare that to Sony's stable of studios. Sony has 13. Yeah, the way I look at this um, is that this means that Microsoft has even more potential than it did before, obviously, um, because, you know, their number was more than 13 before, but now they have 23. So the potential is there. And I think if you're on if you're looking at Sony and you're looking at it from their perspective, they're saying we have quality over quantity, yep. right? Um, but I, I don't think necessarily that just because Xbox has this many more studios that the quality won't be there. In fact, I think there's a lot of really good studios uh, now that we're looking at the 23, so many good studios here. So I think they could really ratchet up the quality on their end. Yeah, I, I think that Xbox has, they have more studios, but they also have more to prove than Sony. Sony has proven that they, I mean, they really, when was the last time that Sony released a, a, a game that wasn't good? I think the closest I can think of is Days Gone, which by all accounts, I didn't actually play Days Gone, but by all accounts, the uh, people who played it, you know, more or less liked it a lot. So anyways, it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, so, uh, Microsoft can reach that level of consistency in quality, like you said. Uh, very interesting. One uh, kind of wrinkle that came ab about as a result of all this 
is Microsoft owns Obsidian Games. Obsidian Games developed Fallout New Vegas, and Bethesda owns the IP Fallout. So now people are saying that maybe we'll get a Fallout New Vegas 2. Is that something you'd be interested in, Jackson? Absolutely. Uh, I I would love to see Fallout New Vegas 2. Um, It's one of those kind of uh, landmark Fallout games for me. Um, New Vegas and 3 were both like, that's what I grew up playing in my teenage years. And so I still have a love for those games. And it'll be interesting if this game does see the light of day, is it going to be an Xbox exclusive? And we actually heard um, Phil Spencer talk about whether all of Bethesda's games will be exclusives moving forward. And he said, we'll take um, other consoles on a case-by-case basis. So uh, it's really interesting. Like, What if you could say future fallouts are going to only be on Xbox and PC? I think that is mind-blowing. It is. I mean, that's one of the biggest IPs in video games, mm-hmm. uh, both Fallout and The Elder Scrolls. And, um, you know, we put this a bit head. We were going to talk about this a bit later, but I'll touch on it now. You know, there were some quotes from uh, uh, Pete Hines and Todd Howard at Bethesda that kind of hint at the idea that maybe these maybe some games in the Bethesda stable won't be exclusive. So these were from blog posts that they both uh posted respectively. Pete Hines, who's the senior vice president of global marketing at Bethesda, said in his blog post, quote, we're still working on the same games we were yesterday made by the same studios we've worked with for years, and those games will be published by us. So very interesting that the games will be published by Bethesda, um, not necessarily Microsoft Studios. Um, and I don't know what the implications of that are. I don't know if you have any insight into that. Yeah, I, I so back when I covered Fallout almost, almost exclusively, uh, in fact, exclusively, uh, Pete Hines was something, he, he's a person I talked about a lot because um, he's kind of a, a character within this sub uh, community. And uh, we call him Uncle Pete. And Uncle Pete speaks very matter-of-factly. He Whatever he says, he just wants you to Um, Take it at face value and do not look into what he's saying. So whatever Pete says is going to happen. Um, That's kind of how I take this. Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like if that's the case, it sounds like Bethesda will have maybe more autonomy than maybe the other Microsoft first party studios, which, you know, might uh, Bethesda just might have had some weight that they can pull in order to 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 maintain that autonomy. And then next, Todd Howard, who. you know, everybody who's watched a Bethesda E3 press conference knows who Todd Howard is. He said in his blog post, quote, like our original partnership, this one is about more than one system or one screen. We share a deep belief in the fundamental power of, of games in their ability to connect, empower, and bring joy, and a belief that we should bring that to everyone, regardless of who you are, where you live, or what you play on, regardless of the screen size, the controller, or your ability to even use one. So, there's definitely some hints there that, at the very least, I think he's referring to um, uh, xCloud, the cloud gaming service that Microsoft is developing. And at the very most, he's just flat out saying these games might appear on other consoles and other platforms. Right. And I think it's smart to also look into this and and see Bethesda's recent push. I mean, I don't know if you even know if you can say recent because they've been making mobile games since Fallout Shelter before Fallout 4 came out in 2015. Um, they've been hitting mobile games hard. So I think that 
Uh, this is another affirmation of that. Bethesda is going to keep doing what they've been doing um, because regardless of what we think about Fallout 76, uh, for the most part, it's been working. Yeah, it, I think we're all kind of, you know, waiting, uh, even though I don't want to say we're like holding our breath because this is going to take a long time, but it'll be very interesting to see if these games release on on other platforms. I guess the big question on everybody's mind is, do you think that Bethesda games will release on the PlayStation 5 down the road besides Ghostwire and Deathloop? I think they will. Um, I think that Bethesda pulls enough um, weight as a multi-platform brand. Sorry, all their IPs do, um, and they have in the past. Like I can tell you that Fallout 4 single-handedly sold a lot of PlayStation 4s, um, and there were more PlayStation 4 players of Fallout 4 than any other platform. So that has to mean something for Bethesda and their future games. Yeah, I could really go either way. I feel like why pay seven and a half billion dollars if you're not <laughs> going to leverage these properties to build your own brand as much as possible. But at the same time, I think I, I heard recently that Elder Scrolls all told sold like 30 million copies. And that's a lot right. of money that they'd be leaving on the table. And you know, just some goodwill they could garner by releasing these on other platforms. I feel like we'll get into this in our later discussion, but one of the downsides potentially for PlayStation gamers is, you know, if if these games aren't going to be available to them, that's a huge, they're just some huge IPs that they are going to miss out on as a result of this transaction. And, you know, that'll definitely reflect on Microsoft. I don't know if you've seen this quote, but people are calling Xbox the RPG console now, the, the next gen yeah. RPG console. I have. I mean, they they now own basically the Western, specifically the yeah, like Western RPGs. Other than Bioware, they kind of own everybody that makes the big uh, releases in this genre. They do. I'm sure we have. We're gonna have people that are gonna call us out uh, <laughs> on certain things, but yeah. I mean, you still got Assassin's Creed. You've got The Witcher, but that's technically not Western. Um, uh, but it appeals, I feel like, to a Western crowd. Uh, they they are definitely cornering a big portion of this, though. Yeah, yeah, with Obsidian and and now Bethesda. So super interesting stuff. I did notice, you know, um, you had entered uh, some information here about Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six uh, to benefit from some of the series. S and X tech. And that's another interesting wrinkle to this story. How those, I think those are the two biggest games that everyone's looking forward to from not only Bethesda, but all these studios that they purchased. So did you, did you want to dive into this Jackson? Sure. Yeah. So Todd Howard, um, probably in that same blog post that we quoted earlier, uh, talked about joining Xbox and said um, that these new systems in terms of the Xbox series S and X technology are optimized for the vast worlds that Bethesda loves to create with generational leaps, not just in graphics, but CPU and data streaming as well. It's led to their largest engine overhaul since Oblivion. With all new technologies powering our first new IP in 25 years, Starfield, as well as The Elder Scrolls VI. So to me, this has big implications. Uh, You can always read into these small quotes, but um, we've always had complaints that Bethesda games are buggy, and I think Fallout 76 is just another reason to, you know, be like, yes, well, they are. Um, they definitely do have some technical issues, um, but also it feels like they're kind of a step behind in terms of what their engine can do. Um, Fallout 4 was kind of an exception to that rule. I thought the creation engine was really good, but if this is an even bigger overhaul than the leap from, uh, you know, Fallout 3 to Fallout 4 for 
you know, a Bethesda Game Studios Fallout game, then we should expect huge leaps in what this will deliver for Starfield, which is still pretty much a mystery, and for the Elder, Elder Scrolls Six, which is far off. So I think this has huge implications. Yeah, really exciting. These will be, you know, next-gen showpieces, hopefully. And, you know, I think that's what they're, at least that's what I take away from this. Uh, should be exciting Absolutely. to see. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to talk a bit more about this later on in the show, but I uh, want to move on to just some uh, additional Xbox Series X and S launch news. We got some confirmation from Microsoft that more Series X and X units will be available at launch after, quote, record-breaking pre-orders. In a tweet, Xbox's uh, official Twitter account tweeted, quote, we are humbled by the record-breaking demand for Xbox Series X and X. Huge thanks to everyone for the excitement. If you weren't successful today, be sure to sign up with retailers for updates. And here's the important part, and expect more consoles to be available on November 10th. So just real quick, uh, we're going to move on from this, but if you did miss out on your Xbox Series X or S pre-order, you're still going to have opportunities to... um, secure your console before launch. And moving on from that, another piece of information that Microsoft released was they released the price for the expandable storage drives that you will have to purchase if you want to have more than 500 gigabytes in your Series S or more than one terabyte in your Series X. And pretty pretty pricey, $219 for one terabyte of storage. So if you want to turn your Series S into a one terabyte or a 1.5 terabyte machine, it's basically going to cost just as much as a Series X. Um, any any thoughts on these before I move on, Jackson? Yeah, I think that uh, I, I'm no expert in terms of you know comparing uh, drives and costs and stuff, but I will say that I'm pretty sure that the cost justifies what you're getting because that's what's already in the Series X, I believe. I believe it's the same SSD, unless I'm mistaken, or very, very similar. So okay. you, you need that SSD in order to support what the Series X is going to offer in terms of data streaming from the SSD. Yeah, and quick note that these, you you can play old Xbox One games and even prior gen games on, a, or actually I don't know if this applies to backwards compatibility, but Xbox One games will be playable off of a regular hard drive. The SSD is only if you want to play Series X and S games. Moving on to some PlayStation-related news, Sony clarified some confusion that was going on last week about the Spider-Man Remastered Edition that's going to be included with Spider-Man Miles Morales for the PlayStation 5. Now, when a lot of people heard that Spider-Man Remastered was going to be releasing for the PlayStation 5, a lot of people were thinking, oh, maybe they can purchase that separately. But no, the big news here is that Spider-Man Remastered is not going to get a physical or even a standalone digital release. The only way to acquire this game, if you have a PlayStation 5, is to purchase Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Edition, which is retailing for $69.99, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, kind of some, I mean, I I just, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Jackson. What about you? Yeah, I kind of get it. Um, I think it's a little anti-consumer to force you know, people to pay $70 in order to play the PS4, you know, PS5 version of a PS4 game included with their PS5 game. But that one's also on PS4. Like this whole story is really confusing. Um, But the long and short of it, I get why they're doing it, but it's a little bit anti-consumer to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. And yeah, it is kind of a nice 
thing to include in this ultimate edition. I mean, this is really what makes this the ultimate edition. We have some other details about the uh, about the Spider-Man remastered. However, it will uh, one thing that a lot of people are kind of making some noise about is that it will not your saves from Spider-Man PS4 won't transfer over. And at first, I thought that's that that does suck. Like I want that. But then I started thinking, when has that when has a remastered version of any game ever like I played The Last of Us remastered this year. It's not like I could carry my save file over to the PS4 from my PS3 playthrough and I don't know why I would want to do that either. So I'm I'm a, I'm a little confused as to why my initial reaction and everybody else's was why that's such a bummer. I mean if you buy the game aren't you going to play it over again? That's that's a really good point and not something I thought about. I was part of that crowd initially who was thinking why am I having to uh why can't I bring over my save because Let's see if you get like Spider-Man PS4 is going to include three new suits. So what if I want to play Spider-Man PS4 on my PS5, the new version, bring my save over and be kind of in an end game state with my new suits? I do get what you're saying. If you're bringing it over, of course, you'd want to play through the experience again. Miles Morales is in Spider-Man PS4. So it's kind of cool to, you know, go through that story again and see how he evolves with Peter and then go ahead and play Miles Morales. But that's a great point about remasters. We really have never seen that. Yeah. But uh, moving on, uh, since we do have a lot to talk about, we got another big piece of news this morning. Amazon uh, announced their long rumored cloud gaming service. It's called Luna. And this is pretty much going head-to-head with Stadia from what I can tell. This is a a streaming service that's available for PC, Mac, uh, Amazon Fire TV, and iPhone and iPad. Uh, It will cost $5.99 per month. So it's a subscription model. It's not like Stadia where you have to pay a la carte for each game. I think that's huge. And then um, uh, you can currently request early access, but no release date has been set for the final version. Any initial thoughts, uh, uh, reactions to this, Jackson? Uh, This has been rumored for years, right? But uh, to me, it was still shocking, obviously, to wake up and see this this morning. All of a sudden, we have a new kind of player in this xCloud Stadia and Luna now um, streaming competition here for games. So uh, initially, I'm like, wow, this is immediately going to be more interesting than Stadia for the reason that you said. Um, It's still baffling why Google and Stadia decided to charge for every single game when the opportunity to be a subscription-forward service was clearly there. It seems like Luna is taking that torch with them, and or the baton, rather, and running with it. Um, This is a really interesting, intriguing service, and I'm uh, excited to see who really buys into this. Yeah, if it ends up being what they are promising, I'm totally interested. Uh, six bucks a month, I'll totally pay that. To, and and the fact I'm an iPhone user, so I can't use XCloud. So this gives and and Stadia to me is just not is not reasonable to pay for each game. So if I want to play, I'm going on a trip, you know. And if I wanted to, if if this was around now, I could play. Um, all these games on my phone in theory. And those games include some of the big heavy hitters are Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Control, Watch Dogs Legion, Metro Exodus, uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, The Surge 2, Sonic Mania, um, Two Point Hospital. I mean, the, the list, it actually is quite long, but those I think are the major, some of the major releases. So if, you know, if that, if that library expands and continues to include some AAA games, I'm totally down for this. 
Me too. And especially if it occupies a, kind of a, a portion of the market that Xbox Game Pass does not, I could easily see uh, why Why not? Why would I not pay $15 a month for Game Pass Ultimate for all these games on my PC and my Xbox and then also pay for Luna, that's $6 a month, if it offers games that I can't get through those other services? I mean, it's starting to look more and more like we're moving towards a point where uh, services are a very legitimate way to play all of your games. Absolutely. I think this is the way things are going to go, and I'll be interested to see if Stadia maybe changes their tune and, and to shift over to a subscription model like this. But very interesting. Going to be exciting to see when we get like maybe a release date, and um, I'll, I'll keep everyone posted to see if I, I signed up for the uh, early access. So if I get an email saying I'm I'm in, I'll uh, I'll report back to let you know how this how this works. Yeah, I didn't dive in initially, so I'm glad you did. I'm glad we'll have someone on the podcast that'll be kind of testing this thing out if you in fact get it. Yeah, me too. That'll be exciting. Um, I guess speaking of exciting, Cyberpunk 2077 did receive another Night City Wire from CD Projekt Red. This was last Friday, so the day after we recorded our last podcast. And uh, we got a lot of information about the game. Not a ton of gameplay details. They re- they reviewed all the gangs that we're going to see. There's the Maelstromers, the Valentinos. We had not seen the Valentinos. We had not seen Sixth Street before. We saw the Voodoo Boys again. We saw the animals again. Another new one that we saw were the Tiger Claws and the Moxes. And I'm not going to get into the details, but basically we got to see all of the gangs. We now know who they all are. And I guess the only bit of gameplay information that I could glean from this, uh, at least major bit, was that you can't join any of these gangs. But we actually knew that prior to this. Um, What was your initial reaction? I really liked this one compared to the last one. The last one felt more like, okay, we've seen this. It's more of the same. Um, It was nice to see some new gangs. I was actually not expecting as many gangs as they showed. So that was immediately jumping out of the presentation for me. I was glad to see that. But very small, specific details that always just get me really excited for these open world games. Like every street in the city has a name. Every piece of garbage was hand placed. Like, Knowing that is just going to make me appreciate this game and this world more than I already would have. So that is really exciting to me. Um, we also got to see some more of the the districts. Um, so this was an exciting Night City Wire for me. Probably I would rank it the second out of all three. The first one was most exciting. The next, the second one was eh, but this one was pretty good. Um, we also got some. Uh System requirements for players who are playing on PC. I'm sure this was very exciting news. Uh, actually, I should probably kick this over to you, Jackson. You're the PC player, but from the reactions I've heard online, these were not as steep as some people had anticipated. No, the minimum system requirements are very reasonable. Uh, if, if you're like someone who's on a fixed budget, but Cyberpunk is your thing and you want to play it on PC, these are not steep in terms of what it, they're requiring you um, in order to just get in to the game, right? Like you don't want to, the, the worst thing as a PC player, I remember doing this when I was uh, younger, was <laughs> trying to buy a game and make it run on your computer um, and, and failing. That was the worst feeling. But the fact that these minimum system requirements are this low is very exciting. And one of my favorite notes about the size of the game, it's only 70 gigs. So yeah. that means that three cyberpunks will fit inside of one download of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. <laughs> that just yeah. blew my mind away. And it really speaks to um, the tech that they have behind uh, consolidating the size of this game. It's pretty insane. 
we're going to move on here to a game that Jackson got to play. We alluded to this earlier. You got to play Mafia Definitive Edition. I saw your review on YouTube this morning. This game looks gorgeous. I was really impressed with how good this game looks, but uh, in terms of gameplay, I'll, I'll let you take it away, Jackson. Yeah, so I got, I got to play Mafia Defin- Definitive Edition uh, a week before it came out. I wasn't given a ton of time, but luckily I was able to pick up my save from the preview, and the preview build like was not much different from what I could tell, so I wasn't worried that I was like you know missing out on something. But um, long story short, this feels like a very uh, high-quality, bite-sized experience. It is not a super long game, but it is very narrative-forward. If you like that type of game and it doesn't bother you that you can't, you know, explore this 1930s city and uh, do all kinds of crazy prohibition era gangster activities. Um, But you get that kind of feel and flavor through, you know, story focused experience, then this is a great game for you. Um, It's also only $40, which I think is understated in terms of how awesome that is. Um, This is kind of packaged into the trilogy. Uh, So recently, 2K released Mafia 2 Definitive Edition, which is really just kind of an HD reimagining upscale. It's not a remake. And then they package that with Mafia 3. So you can get all three of these games for 60 bucks, which I think is a ton of great value at the end of a generation like we are. Um, But yeah, back to Definitive Edition. Um, Like you said, it's beautiful. Um, Some people don't like the engine that 2K uses. Um, in Hangar 13, but I really do. I think it produces some great visuals. The lighting in particular is striking. Um, and the fact that they choose to kind of um, not have a day-night cycle and bake it in, you can really tell the difference. Um, but it, it's not like on the level of The Last of Us Part Two uh, in terms of graphical fidelity, but I wasn't really looking for that, and I didn't expect that. Uh, in terms of gameplay, it's very simple, um, but at the same time satisfying. So, yeah, overall, I think it delivers a really solid experience. Um, did you have any other questions, Josh, about what I got to play? Well, just in terms of like genre, is this um, from the review that I, your review that I watched this morning, one thing I didn't expect is it sounds almost like this is kind of like a third person shooter um, more than anything else. Is that is that accurate? Yes, I, I would call it that. Um yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of genre bending, but at the same time, um, it's it's something that you saw was more popular like 10 years ago. Um, and I think that may rub some people the wrong way, but I think within the lens of this being a remake, it makes perfect sense. And it's faithful to the original, but still fun. Um, it, it sticks to some of those classic sensibilities that the original game had. So yeah, I, I would say that it's more of a third person shooter than anything, actually. Fantastic. Well, uh, very cool. Uh, we are now going to move into some quick hits. Uh, we have a lot to cover here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get through these pretty rapid fire. Uh, first off, we got some uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla news that the game will run at 4K at 60 frames per second on PS5. So that's good news all around. Um, Blizzard announced their uh, BlizzCon line is what they're calling their online version of BlizzCon for 2021. So uh, I don't have the details right in front of me, but if you're interested in Blizzard and BlizzCon, uh, you can look that up. They definitely are going to be doing something in 2021 to replace the uh, in-person convention that they obviously won't be able to do. Uh, Speaking of uh, gaming events, the Game Awards, this is exciting, announced that they are going to air a show on December 10th, 
and uh, it's going to be online. There's not going to be a live audience, uh, but it should be pretty much the same type of event where they have um, the awards, obviously, but they are also going to have a lot of game announcements and reveals. So that's exciting. It's one. It's kind of like E3 in December, um, a mini E3 in December. So we'll, we'll be getting that. That should be exciting. And some not so good news, but not too bad. Baldur's Gate was delayed by about a week. I think it was scheduled to come out this coming week or the week that this podcast airs, but now it's coming out on October 6th. So if, and this is early access, but if you were looking forward to playing Baldur's Gate, you have to wait a little bit longer. And then finally, just this morning at the Tokyo Game Show, um, Near Replicant was announced. Now, I am not a Near fan. I am well aware of the franchise, but I've never played a Near game. Apparently, this is a prequel to Near Automata, which I know everybody loves. So something to look forward to if you're a Near fan. Anything to add to that uh, laundry list that I just rattled off there, Jackson? Um, not really. I'm just excited to see console games run at 4K 60 FPS on next gen. I mean, that's just going to be a game changer. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to seeing these next gen games on our next gen consoles. But for now, that wraps up our week in preview section. That was a lot to talk about. We are now going to switch over to our deep dive discussion. This week, we are going to talk about whether or not these big studio acquisitions are good for the gaming industry this week we saw or this past week we saw one of the biggest in the history of the gaming industry and i tend to think that it varies on a case by case basis we've seen some other studio acquisitions that have gone very well and we've seen some that have gone not so well so jackson before i kick it over to you i just want to go through some of these past acquisitions so sony obviously has bought a lot of studios insomniac sucker punch and naughty dog to name a few And they seem to give their studios a lot of creative freedom. They make the games they want to make, and more or less, they turn out fantastic. Uh, Microsoft has recently done the same thing, so we can all only hope that that's what happens with them as well. But, you know, uh, some others that have gone not so well, uh, you know, Blizzard was bought by Activision. And maybe this is just me, but I feel like ever since that happened, Blizzard has seen somewhat of a fall from grace not not entirely they still have a lot of quality properties overwatch is great but i don't feel like the perception of blizzard is today what it once was bioware is in a similar situation with ea they have definitely um stumbled on the other end is respawn was purchased by ea and that's gone as far as we can tell great with um apex legends and star wars uh their their star wars game uh, jedi fallen order so Those are some examples with all of that that I just rattled off, Jackson. Do you have a take on this? I do. um, And I think it's in line with yours. Uh, We tend to agree a lot on this show. And I think it's because we have similar mindsets when it comes to the industry. But um, in terms of Sony, it's interesting. uh, Because the studios that we listed here, Insomniac, Sucker Punch, Naughty Dog, uh, Gorillas on the list too, um, they all already made... PlayStation exclusive titles. So it's it's different. Like the path to these studios becoming bought up by Sony, it already made sense. They already had a great relationship. Um, and I think when you look at uh, Microsoft and Xbox buying Bethesda, you know, they already did have a great relationship, but we've been seeing these multi-platform games for years. And that's why it really kind of shakes things up um, for me. It's interesting that you brought up BioWare, uh, because yeah, 
Bioware was bought by EA, um, and we still had some really great Bioware games, like in the early EA years, like the Mass Effect series, for example. Uh, one, two, and three were all under EA. Uh, people don't realize that, so it's not like Bioware bought them and they just went down the toilet. Um, that's kind of a perception that I think a lot of people have that's not correct. But then you have Respawn, like you said, so. It's very much a case-by-case basis. Um, I think where you start to question, is this good for gamers, is the uh, exclusivity conversation. If Xbox is really trying to be the console for everyone, um, are they also going to go around and say, well, you can't buy Bethesda games on a PlayStation? Um, it's, it's interesting to see how it all shake out. Yeah, I, I think one other area where gamers uh, can be affected by this, aside from the exclusivity, is... I feel, and this is coming from someone, me, who, who's just paid a lot of attention to gaming news over the years. I don't have any inside knowledge as to how these deals work and how how these corporations are run. But it feels like to me that at some point, some of these studios end up becoming beholden to shareholders as opposed to their audience. And I think Bioware is an interesting example where you're right. We had some great games that they were making the games that their audience knew them for, Mass Effect, Dragon Age. But then... And again, I I don't know that this happened, but I have a hunch that EA was thinking, this goes into a topic we talked about last week, let's make a games as a service or a game as a service. Bioware is an amazingly talented developer. Let's give this project to them. And it ended up resulting in a project that uh, not only did uh, um, um, Anthem, uh, Anthem turned out to be kind of subpar to begin with, but it also just wasn't what Bioware was known for. You know, and I, I, so I feel like, that's something that can happen. I don't feel like Sony and Microsoft, I feel like they they know better. Sony, obviously, they've proven it. And I think Microsoft is actually following Sony's lead on that. They're going to let these studios do what they do. I am definitely a Bioware sympathizer. Uh, you, you make a great point. And I think you can also draw this line back to uh, as much as people did like it, Mass Effect had a multiplayer mode which was just strange. And that also existed in Andromeda. And so did Inquisition. Inquisition had a multiplayer mode that you have to think was conceived of because EA wanted to sell some microtransactions. That's just the reality of it. And then Anthem happened, like you said. So yeah, there's definitely some goods and bads. One last thing I just wanted to talk about is, you know, it's fun to kind of speculate what other studios might be up for sale or what it might what might happen if some of these other studios that are out there were bought. So I'll rattle off some here. Uh, Remedy is one that people have talked about. Obviously, they made Control. Another one that I think is maybe a little far-fetched, but they have some incredible IP is Konami. Um, in, a, in a similar vein, Sega. I, in fact, I just saw a headline this morning. Is Sony going to buy Sega? You know, And I think it was a rumor, but um, those are some huge companies that it's like, what if those were bought? <laughs> right. And, and when you see a company go out and spend $7.5 billion, it, it makes your mind race at the possibilities of what Sony might do. Yeah. Yeah. Sony. And, and even I think there was a headline. We didn't cover this, but there was a headline that Microsoft in some of their blog posts and interviews or whatever since they since this Bethesda thing was announced have said that they are still going to look at other studios. They're not necessarily done purchasing. So um, very interesting. <laughs> I, I know there was talk about Bungie rejoining Microsoft. I don't think that will happen, but that was kind of some people talked about that. The last one that I think is really interesting is maybe Sony and Kojima have a relationship. So maybe Kojima Productions might end up in their stable one day. 
Yeah, I think that Sony, um, I don't foresee Sony doing a big blockbuster buy um, on the level of Bethesda. It's kind of hard to do a comparison. I think the only apt comparison here is Ubisoft. Uh, but Ubisoft is huge in their own right. Like that, I just don't ever see that happening. Um, I think it's much more likely that Sony buys up these smaller um, publishers here with 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 big IPs. But then again, their por- portfolio is not as vast as uh, a Bethesda. You know, this is just a behemoth of a pickup that it's going to be hard, you know, to imagine something like this in the future unless we see another big publisher like Bethesda uh, come up. Yeah, I agree that Sony probably can't flex their muscles the way that I mean Microsoft reminded everyone that they are one of the biggest companies in the world. Like they're worth <laughs> over they're literally worth over a trillion dollars. So um yeah. the I don't think Sony can can compete financially speaking on that same level, but uh yeah, there are um some other options. Just real quick, one other one that I is Bluepoint. They keep having uh, some sort of relationship with Bluepoint games. They're making the Demon Souls uh, remake. So that's another one that maybe Sony will uh, pull the trigger on at some point. But uh, anything to add to this discussion before we move on, Jackson? Uh, not exactly. I know they're, uh, this is actually on our list here, uh, WB Games. That would have been an interesting acquisition for either side. But we know that that's now off the table. They said that they're not, you know, willing to sell um so nothing really to add i i think that this is just a really like we should all remember i know this sounds silly but remember where you were because i don't think we're going to see like some something like this on this level for a while yeah and i think going back to the original question are these good for gamers i really again want to reiterate that i think it is on a case-by-case basis and i think that when you have these companies that own their own hardware and they're trying to build their brand and Um, get people into their ecosystem, Sony and Microsoft I'm referring to, obviously, they seem to get it. At least I I think Sony does, and I I think now Microsoft does too. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why we may not see Bethesda, or we may actually see Bethesda games on other platforms, is I think Microsoft wants to do what's best for gamers. I actually genuinely believe that. Right, and we all like to think of these big corporations as the boogeyman. Um, they They want to make a profit, but they're probably going to choose to do it this way which i just think is a wise move yep yep so very interesting what a week uh what a, what a story that was um and it'll be very fun to watch uh, next gen uh take shape yeah i can't wait yep so with that we are going to take our second break we're going to be back to talk about what we have been playing and we're back we are now to the part of the show where we are going to share our experience with what we've been playing this past week jackson what have you been spending your time with so i started with mafia definitive edition now we already talked about that but i've spent a good amount of the week playing that outside of that it's been assassin's creed and i just want to hop on my soapbox for a second with unity um this is such an impressive ambitious game i am shocked that it came out in 2014 um it looks gorgeous Uh, But I see where it fails in a lot of places um, for a lot of people, particularly uh, the narrative and the way that the story is told, especially after such a gem in uh, Black Flag. Uh, I could see why people are really disappointed. Uh, The co-op is also just disappointing. A lot of the focus was put into that. And I agree, like, if you're going to come up with a new mode, you know, go all in and really build that out to be something worth people's time. But 
it just isn't. And I even tried it and I had some connection issues. So that was just disappointing. I, I'm still going through it. And by the time you guys hear this, I'll probably have beaten Unity. Uh, but yeah, I'm still making my way through this entire series and I'm moving on to Origins before Valhalla. Very cool. Well, uh, I'm still cranking my way through Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Uh, I spent a lot of my time this last week working on my video that I just posted to my channel. By the way, if you haven't checked it out, I posted an Assassin's Creed video, but that is what took most of my time. Um, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, still a fantastic Metroidvania. Un, uh, it's it's it, it got off to a slow start for me, um, but the more I dig into it, the more the world is just... Uh, kind of enveloping me. It's just really immersive with the the visual presentation and the music, um, uh, very emotional uh, score. So uh, I don't have much negative to say about this game, except if you're not, if you don't like challenging precision platforming, I would probably stay away from from this game. Um, and then I, I couldn't resist. I jumped into Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Uh, in my downtime, I needed something simple that wasn't going to really task, tax my brain very much. And this was perfect for that. You can play it in small chunks. You can hop in, get a few stars. I'm playing uh, Mario 64 and it confirms the perception that I had of this game, that it is one of the best 3D platformers of all time, taking into account when it was released. I mean, it was unbelievable to play this game back in 1996, I think, when 3D platforming didn't really exist. This was kind of the first one to get it right. Uh, It was mind-blowing and this game just hooked me right back in. I I was up till like 3 a.m. the other night just collecting stars and uh, great, great game. The camera is a little wonky. I will say that. Um, It doesn't hold up. It's disappointing that they didn't fix the camera in Super Mario 64, but um, I'm loving it. That's part of the authentic experience, Josh. You just gotta, (laughs) you gotta buy in. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for me, it's uh, that you're actually not far off on that. (laughs) It's a classic experience. <laughs> yep. Classic gaming. So that's what we've been playing. We're now going to dig into our mailbag where we look at the reader mail we got this last week. And this week we got a question from Casey. So Casey, thank you for writing in. And Casey asks, what creator, we're going to shift over to our YouTube lives a little bit here. What creator <laughs> got you into making YouTube videos? Is there anyone today you try to emulate when it comes to making content? I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Jackson. This is a great uh, loaded question. I'm going to try to be as brief as I can. Um, For me, I started making videos in high school and it was during the Call of Duty era. So it was uh, Modern Warfare 2 and Black Ops, pretty much what I consider to be the the good old days of that kind of content. Uh, The Machinima, the Respawn, the you want to be a really good quickscoper, that era. Uh, So that's what inspired me to start making videos, which is insane to think about. Um, But creators that inspired me, one that just came back after two years of not being on the platform, uh, C Nanners. He's just a really infectious uh, character, really great positive attitude, laughs all the time. He's a reason I started. um, And also Woody's Gamertag as well. I was a really big fan of him for a while in the Painkiller Already podcast. These are very niche things. So if you know it, you know it. I'm not going to explain. But um and then the second part of that question, is there anyone today that I try to emulate when it comes to making content? Yeah, there's a lot of really good creators out there. Um, sometimes I see more personality-driven content, and I want to shift towards that, even though that's really not what you see from me most of the time. Um, so people like Scott the Waz is a huge creator these days that I think really creates an entertaining... like 
it's just, it feels like you're watching a TV episode, like a late night. Like just this guy is so quick and smart and witty with the way that he presents his ideas. And he's got such a passion for what he's talking about. Um, another one is Nakey Jakey is the same way where I am just in awe of how creative these guys are and um, what they're able to put out there. It takes a while between content for like Jakey, for example. But whenever he makes something, I really want to watch it. And that's always what I aspire um, to be as a creator. So that's my really long-winded answer. Well, how about you, Josh? For me, so I've always wanted to create content about video games, and it goes all the way back to when I was probably 15 and 16 years old reading, uh, this is going to date me, but Electronic Gaming Monthly when it was still kind of like the leading edge video game magazine. And I would get it every week in my my mailbox. And um, that has been a dream of mine for a long time. And then I got sidetracked with my career. And then one day I just decided, you know, I, I still want to do this. And this is in my 30s. So I went like all that time. And um, so my initial inspiration is actually not a YouTube creator. It's print media, believe it or not. But along the way, I got um, I, I followed mainstream gaming media, you know, GameSpot, IGN, Polygon, these websites. And then if there was one kind of moment that gave me pause. It was when the guys at IGN quit their jobs to start their own YouTube channel. Now they had a built-in audience and so they had a path forward. I didn't have that, but seeing these guys kind of branch out and do their own thing and just make videos out of their, you know, house essentially, I thought I can do that. Um, I do it in a much different way than they do. I don't make the same type of content. So that's kind of what where my inspiration came from. Uh, in terms of creators that inspire me, uh, two that come to mind are, are ACG and SkillUp. ACG for his prolific nature. I have no idea how he does what he does. He <laughs> like he reviews every single game that comes out. He has like two podcasts that he makes, and I like struggle to put out one video every month and do my podcast. I'm convinced that ACG is two people uh, at, and he's at just least pretending to be one. <laughs> yeah. At least, and then SkillUp for his his. I, I feel like he consistently puts out high quality writing in his content. And uh, that's something I try to do as well. Um, I wrote my, in my past life, I was a writer. That's what I did professionally. And so I, I really try to just everything I do. I try to make it as high quality as I can. I don't know if I succeed all the time, but that's what I, that's my goal. And I feel like skill up is a creator who sets a high bar for just quality of content on a consistent basis, whether you agree with his opinions or not. Uh, it's a different story, but um, those are some creators that I, I I think do a good job, and yeah, so that's that's my maybe not quite as long answer. I don't know how long I went on on that one, but <laughs> I always feel like I ramble in my head, and then you think you ramble in your <laughs> head, and it ends up that it's just fine. Yeah, you know, for everyone else. Yep. So uh, thanks, Casey, for the question. And again, if anybody has any questions for us that they want us to answer next week, you can write in to preloadedpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, but that is. Our show for the week, Jackson, um, you, I guess I, I was going to ask if you have anything to plug, but we already talked about your uh, your Mafia review. Is that what's going on over on your channel? Yes, we've got that. And then probably before the next podcast episode, you'll see a huge like Assassin's Creed Black Flag in 2020 review from me. So look out for those and you can follow me on social media. I am uh, JV on YT on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Fantastic. And on my end, I did just post, as I mentioned, my Assassin's Creed Ultimate Preview, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, that is, Ultimate Preview. So if you're curious about anything relating to uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, check that out. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Quest Mode Games, and I'm also on Instagram at Quest Mode Games. 
And that is going to wrap it up for our show this week. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.